0: Welcome to you uh, on the internet. Welcome Ireland, England, people that are watching. Lockport, glad to have all of you here. We're uh, doing uh, What Would Jesus Hate? And uh, What Jesus Would Hate, we've decided, is anything that gets in the way of his love. So the first week we talked about how uh, Jesus hated children blocking, and he said you'd be better off with a millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the sea than to block one of these children from coming to me. So we adopted 170 more kids over in uh, Africa. We sponsored them. We've done a lot of great stuff, got people being adopted. 800 kids that we sponsor in Africa. I'm going to get a chance to see them uh, actually next month, and I'm pretty excited about that. Then the second week, we talked about disciple dividing and how Jesus' last prayer was that they be one. Father, make them to be one. And so we, did, we had you send out postcards to people at other churches. And also, we as a church invited all the pastors from all the churches in in the, in the immediate area to a little synergy conference that we're having actually tomorrow. I think we have uh, about 30 or 40 churches represented Represented Catholic, non-Catholic, all different kinds of people that are coming to hang out with us and to see what we can learn from each other and to listen to Dave Stone talk a little bit about some things that he's going to teach all of us. And I think it's really going to be a great thing. We've got almost a hundred people coming for that. Pastors from around the area, so we're excited about that. This week we're doing center judging. Okay, I just got to warn you right up front. This is like my pet thing. If I had one chance to preach one sermon to any church around the country, it would probably be on this, okay? I just want you to understand that right up front. If you disagree with this sermon, you might as well leave and go find another church, because this is where we're at, okay? I'm just coming right up front with you. This is something that's really, really important to me. What What I know is that a lot of times Christians come off too strong. We, we just We just... We just blow our opportunity to ever talk to anybody about the love of Christ because we come on too strong. Jesus told us to be salt and light, right, in the world, okay? You could have too much salt and light. You could have not enough salt and light. There's got to be a balance, so I want to talk about that. Let me explain this whole thing. In any any group, when you give rules or, you know, a governance system or whatever, there are always going to be different groups of people. Let me explain it like this. let's, Let's go back to school, okay? Let's go back to class. Three groups of people in school, okay? The group in the middle, we're not going to pay attention to they're the ones that sit in the middle of the classroom and and, and we don't care about them today okay if that's you great okay that's fine you know be wishy-washy in the middle that's okay here's the groups that i want to talk about there's one group of students that always likes to sit on the front row you know what i'm talking about always not you guys because you guys aren't like this i'm getting ready to make fun of you so don't raise your hand okay People on the front row are the ones that, uh, they do, they all, you know, they're like, oh, oh, call on me, I know the answer, right, okay? That, that, that's, that's not, they're the ones that go, oh, teacher, you forgot to give us our homework, right? Nobody, nobody likes those people, right? No, okay? Then there's the other group of people that sit on the back row. Let me hear from you on the back row back there, all right? Yeah, all right. You could probably guess where I sat all through school, couldn't you? Matter of fact, I may be the only person in history to ever achieve the highest level of education in their field and never sit anywhere but the back row. I guarantee you, I always did. It wouldn't have surprised you to go into my doctoral class and see me on the back row playing computer games on my laptop while the professor was talking. Because I had ADD, but so did Jesus, so we're okay. Remember, we talked about that, (laughs) all right? So, you got this. So, here's along comes comes God. God says, okay, I want to, I'm going to establish these people. I want them to be my people. I I want them to follow life the way that I set it up. So he sets up these rules and these regulations and he tells people how to live. So what happens? Just like always happens, a group of people hang out in the middle and a group of people decide to go sit on the front row and they're so good at following the rules. You know, they wear all the right clothes. They're they're so good at following the rules, these people were, that they started adding rules to the rules just because they needed more rules to try to follow. Okay? Those were the Pharisees. And then back row are the people who... You know, we don't really like the rules all that much. If if rules don't make sense, we don't like to follow them. And a lot of times the people on the back row are the people who just don't think they could ever measure up to the front row. So they're kind of hiding out in the back row, right? Along comes Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus starts preaching. And he says stuff like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn. He says stuff like, you know, I I know that you're not really that good, but I've come to help you with your not-so-goodness. And where does Jesus sit when he comes to the earth? On the back row. Matthew 9. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, quotation marks, came and ate with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, the front row people, saw this, they asked his the disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Why does he sit on the back row? And on hearing this, Jesus said, hello, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. But go and learn what this means, Jesus said. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. What, what does that mean? I desire a relationship, not rule following. For, listen to this, I have not come to call the righteous But sinners. I've not come to sit on the front row. I've come to sit on the back row. And he sat on the back row. And the teachers called on him. And when he got up to give the answers, he gave the most amazing answers anybody had ever seen. And then he turned to the people in the front row and he said, You know what? You guys ought to not talk so bad about the people on the back row because I love the people on the back row. He said things like, Do not judge or you too will be judged. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when you got a two before sticking out of your own eye? Those are the kinds of things that Jesus said. When Katy Perry's song, I Kissed a Girl, was popular about a lesbian experience, one pastor put on his church sign out front, I kissed a girl and I liked it, and then I went to hell. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody think that that, that somebody might have been driving down the road that day and thought to themselves, read that sign and thought, wow, I never thought of that that's amazing. I'm so glad they told me. I wonder if I could go to that church. It seems so accepting to me. No, I mean, that's, that's judging Jesus. That's exactly the wrong thing. And I know what you're saying. You're thinking right now, yeah, Tim, but you're judging that guy. And I shouldn't, and I can't. I, I heard my sermon last week. If he's not against us, he's for us, right? We, we talked about that. I understand that. Here's the problem. There are a lot of times in my life, I can look back on and I can think, man, I was just like that. I was a front row person too. There are a lot of conversations I would love to, a lot of arguments I would love to have back again. Can you think about that? If you have been a Christian for a while? I mean, it's so easy to fall into this trap of thinking we're better than somebody else and we're going to judge them and we're going to look down on them. But that's not the way Jesus was. Jesus did not hate sinners. He didn't condemn them. Listen, John 8, this is the famous one. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group, and Jesus said, "And said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? They were using this as a trap, John tells us, in order to have a basis for accusing him. And Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, because they're the smarter ones, until only Jesus was left. Wouldn't you love to just bend there? Hey, whoever's perfect, go ahead, throw the first stone. And pretty soon, you know, the 70 year old guys start to go and the 50 year old guys and all. And the young ones are finally like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm not so good either. And the woman was still standing there and Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, sir. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. When do you ever see Jesus taking a combative stance against the sinners of his day? When could you ever imagine Jesus with the sign that says, "You committed adultery and you liked it and you 're going to hell?" Never We invited an atheist to share with us a couple of years ago in our service. Um, a lot of you are new so you don 't know this. It was a guy who Called himself the eBay atheist. He, uh, he went on, online and sold his time on, e, on eBay. And a Christian organization bought his time and sent him to Christian churches all around the country. And, and he did a report on it. He did a book on it called I Sold My Soul on eBay. The last chapter is all about Parkview and his experience here. And it was very positive because we brought him in. And I actually did an interview with an atheist on stage during one of our sermons. Just to try to find out how we could bridge the gap with the people on the outside. Here's what Hemet says in his book. He says, But as I read Christian books and as I spent months attending a variety of churches in the different parts of the country, I kept running across a consistent and troubling truth about American Christianity. This is an atheist. This is somebody from the outside. Here's what he said. It is clear that most churches have aligned themselves against non-religious people. It is clear to an atheist that most churches have aligned themselves against non religious people. And by adopting this stance, he said, Christians have turned off the people I think they would want to connect with. This combative stance I've observed in many churches and from many Christians is an approach that causes people to become apathetic and even antagonistic towards religion as a whole. Listen, Jesus said, You will be my witnesses. Not, you will be my lawyers, not, you will be my judges. He said, you will be my witnesses. When asked to rank, in terms of respect, 11 different groups of people, non-Christians rated evangelical Christians 10th out of 11. The only group they rated lower than us were prostitutes. We have a problem. And that, my friends, is what Jesus would hate. I think Jesus would call today's Pharisees the same names he called the Pharisees back then. He would call them whitewashed tombs, a brood of vipers, hypocrites. He might tell them they'd be better off to have a stone hung around their neck and thrown into the sea. Please don't miss this about Jesus. Jesus did not have patience for Pharisees. That's what Jesus would hate because it got in the way of his love. What do you think Jesus would think about Christians putting up this sign? Hell's most wanted. And here's the list. Of all the sins that we think are really bad, okay? Pay close attention because the fourth one down on the left side is a problem for Super Bowl weekend. Sports fans are going to hell, okay? Now, now, listen, I don't want you to go through there and start checking those off. I want you to think about this for a second, okay? What kind of gall does a person have to put up a sign that says, Your sins are worse than my sins. Because basically that's what they're saying, right? They're saying, well, you know, I cheated on my taxes, but you're a whoremonger, so you're on hell's most wanted. That just doesn't work, okay? That's what Jesus would hate. That's the, pro- the problem is, the wages of sin is death. It is. But the rest of that verse says, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But if we get them all hung up at the beginning, they're never going to get to the end of that verse. How can we get them to understand the love of Christ? What did Jesus say in John 13? By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have picket signs that make them mad? No, he said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. WWJH, what would Jesus hate? Is anything that gets in the way of his love? Okay? So we get to Luke 15. This is the story that caused Jesus to tell, this is the passage of Scripture that caused Jesus to tell three stories. Luke 15, th- there's three stories. There's the lost coin, there's the lost sheep, and there's the lost son, the prodigal son. Okay. You may have heard those stories along the way, hopefully you have. It, 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 they were stories that were told because of the beginning of the chapter. The whole chapter goes together, it's really important. Here we go. Now the tax collectors and the sinners, quotation marks, those aren't mine, that's in the Bible that way, sinners, we're all gathered around to hear him. But the front row people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. It's like everyone else, just like the sign. Everyone else is a sinner, but I'm better because I'm only sometimes sinful. My sins aren't as bad as yours. Think about it. Jesus was always around sinners. It's true. Samaritan woman at the well. She'd been married five times, living with someone who wasn't her husband. Zacchaeus was a wee little tax collecting cheat. A woman caught in adultery was caught in the act of adultery. Okay, Mary Magdalene had demons cast out of her. You get this? These are the people that Jesus was with and he was with them in Luke 15. And the front row people said, why are you sitting on the back row, Jesus? And Jesus told these stories. A woman lost a coin. she had ten. She lost one. She went and searched for the lost one. A man had a hundred sheep. He lost one. He left the ninety nine and he went and found the lost one. A man had two sons, one of them was a naughty son. He was a son on the sign. He had a bunch of problems in his life and he took all of his father's money and he went off and he squandered it on wild living in the city and he gave it all up and he did all kinds of things on that sign that we just read and then he came to his senses and he realized he was in bad trouble and he was feeding pigs which is the worst thing that you could possibly do as a Jew and he was at the bottom of his life and he thought, you know what? I'm just going to go back to my dad and see if he'll take me back as a servant. But as soon as he shows up, what does dad do? Dad, who is God starts running towards him and he throws his arms open and he says hallelujah my son's home kill the calf let's have a party get a pinata this is awesome right and I've told that story that's my favorite story that's our theme story at Parkview Christian Church we're all about the prodigals I love that story when I've been a prodigal I love telling that story to prodigals but that is not why Jesus told the story if you're a prodigal grab a hold of that that's it's beautiful and it's not the point of the story. The point of the story is in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Okay, Remember why Jesus told the story? Because the front row people are mad that Jesus is sitting and hanging out with the back row people. Okay, So Jesus tells a story about how the front row people need to come back to God because God just loves them. And then he says, Meanwhile the older son was in the field. Doesn't that sound like, you know, there should be a narration going on there, like that's Rocky and Bullwinkle or something? Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. Meanwhile, while all this good stories going on, meanwhile, the dastardly story is also going on, okay? Luke fifteen twenty five. When he came near the house, the older brother, the person he's telling the story about, heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what was going on? Your brother's come home, he replied. Your father has killed the fatted calf because he's come back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Remember, he's telling the story to these people. Unbelievable. I mean, thank God that that the prodigal son didn't find the older brother first, right? I mean, what happens if the prodigal son comes and he finds the older brother before he finds the father? What, what happens if the older brother's out there with this big sign, Hell's Most Wanted. I, did, I went to the city and I liked it and I'm going to hell. What happens? He never gets to the father, does he? If he finds the older brother first, he's never going to get to the father. He's going to walk away like half our country has because they never figured out that the father over here really does love them because they can't get past the older brother. Thank God in Jesus' story, the older brother was out the other way in the field or we would have really had trouble. Here's what he went on to say. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Oh, Oh, I can't stand Pharisees. Isn't that unbelievable? All these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders? Listen, if you think you're perfect, I would love to meet you after the service is over but you're not invited back. (laughs) You can't ever come here because we're not perfect here, okay? Please understand that. I've never disobeyed your orders, okay? If you're in that category, they have churches for you, but this is not one of them. You never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, which is really interesting because... He doesn't know that he squandered it with prostitutes. I, I imagine the older brother is just thinking about all the stuff he missed out on, you know. <laughs> uh, I got to stay here. I didn't get a goat. And you went out for the prostitutes. And here I am. You killed a fatty calf for him. is that unbelievable? Isn't that unbelievable? What kind of an attitude? And who is Jesus telling the story to? Those people. This attitude is not what Jesus loved. This attitude is what Jesus hated. Obviously, I'm not real crazy about it myself. If Jesus chose to hang out with the sinners, why is that? Why did he do that? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, let's just be honest. They're more fun. Would you agree? And number two, they're the only ones that are grounded in reality. Because the truth of the matter is, everybody sinned. Everybody's fallen short of the glory of God. Only the the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners already knew it. Okay, What the older brother should have been doing is having the attitude of the father. He should have been saying, hey, I'm glad you're here. Here's my sign. It says, welcome home, instead of hell's most wanted. And I'm really glad you're here, and I love you. And that's why sinner judging is in the category of what would Jesus hate. Here's another story in the red letters that Jesus told that will prove it to you once and for all that this is something Jesus hates. Luke 18. Again, the front row people. They're griping to Jesus about how he treats, how he hangs out with all the back row people. And here's what Jesus says. Two men went to the temple to pray. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, but it's not very funny. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. I love that. He prayed about himself. Let me just do my Pharisee voice, okay? God, I thank thee that I am not like other men, robbers evildoers, adulterers, or even like that guy, that tax collector right there. I'm not like that God. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up into heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, listen to this. I tell you that this man, rather than the front row guy, went home justified before God. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. (laughs) How many times does Jesus have to smack these people? Before they understand it. How many times does Jesus have to smack us? Sin is bad, people. Sin is what killed Jesus. The point is we have all sinned. That's the point. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way, Anyone who has been horrified by the dreadfulness of his own sin that nailed Jesus to the cross can no longer be horrified by even the rankest sins of a brother. Looking at the cross of Jesus, he knows the human heart. He knows how utterly lost in sin and weakness the human heart is. He knows how it goes astray in the ways of sin. And he also knows that it's only accepted in grace and mercy. See, the problem is, there are only two sons in the story and one father. We have to decide which attitude we want to have. And at one point or another, we've all been prodigals. I mean, even if you grew up in the church, like I did, there have been times in your life when you've strayed away from God. You've never been perfect, so we've all been prodigals. Here's the problem. After you get back into the house, you have to decide which one of these people you're going to be. Are you going to be the father and have the attitude of the father, or are you going to be the older brother? And the problem is, and I see it happen in my own life, and I've seen it happen over and over again, is the longer we stay in church, the longer we hang out with church people, what happens? The more we become like older brothers and all of a sudden we wake up one day and we're looking over at those prodigals and we're like, man, I can't believe how bad they are. And we forgot. That Jesus paid the price for all of our sin and we're, what my sin may be better and God's helping me to be more righteous and more holy because that's what he promised us to do. We still do not deserve to be in the house any more than that guy. That is the essence of the gospel. A lot of people think the religious people are the ones that have it all figured out. But Jesus came and moved smack dab into the middle of the back row gang, and that's why. This approach is better. A <clears throat> pastor named Jamie, preaches in Florida, decided to love a local abortion doctor. <clears throat> so he went to his office, this abortion doctor's office, armed with a gift and a card for the doctor, who also happened to be a Muslim. excuse me (coughs) he dropped it off with the receptionist but when she went back and gave it to the doctor he said wait a minute i want to talk to that guy so he had jamie come in and talk to him and the man said what is it that you want from me jamie said i I don't want anything i just serve a local church and i wanted to bring you a gift and i want to apologize for the way christians have treated you the doctor was stunned and said but you haven't treated me badly And and he said i know the doctor said, you know I do abortions, right? And Jamie said, yeah, I, I do, and I couldn't agree, disagree with you more on that. But I'm here because I'm genuinely sorry for the way some Christians have conveyed their disagreement with you. Well, the doctor opened up with Jamie and began sharing story after story of attacks and vandalism and threats made on his life by Christians who opposed abortion. They talked for an hour, and at the end of their conversation, he let Jamie pray with him. And as Jamie walked out of his office, he said to the doctor, when it comes to Christians, you obviously know what we're against, but do you know what we're for? Doctor shook his head and said, no. He said, what are you for? Jamie said, we're for love and we're for people. I like to say we're pro-people and anti-sin, but the fact that we're anti-sin should never trump the fact that we are pro-people. And then he quoted this great quote from Mother Teresa, who said, if you judge people you have no time to love them. Take that quote home with you. If you judge people, Mother Teresa said, you don't have time to love them. See, the problem is, lost is bad. The coin is separated from its owner. The sheep is going to die without being back in the fold. The son is going to have a life of misery if he doesn't get back to the father. And in our communities and the people all around us, there are people who are going through separation. They're going through eternal death. They're going through the whole idea of being separated from God and a life of misery. And we have the answer to them. We have the answer for them. What should we do about it? Well, the woman that lost the coin, what did she do? Did she say, oh, I got nine coins, good enough. No. That's why when we keep filling this place up, we're going to keep making more services and we're going to keep doing more things because there's always got to be room. We've got to always go out and do something about it. If there's a lost coin, we're going to go find it. What did the guy who lost the sheep do? They put up a big billboard to say, I told you not to leave. (laughs) Stupid sheep. Sheep big marquee that said, I left the fold and I liked it and I went to hell. Is that what he did? No. They went after them. What did the father do? As soon as the son showed up, he ran towards him. Do you see this? This is what we do. Listen, if Jesus sat on the back row, Parkview Christian Church is going to be a church full of the back row. I hope you understand that. And as I said at the beginning... If that's not your deal, that's okay. It's our deal. Someone wrote me. Tim, I had dinner at a restaurant on Saturday night. Happened to be seated on a patio next to a continually growing group of middle-aged men and women. They were very loud and colorful, she described them, as they enjoyed round after round of drinks. My conservative friend and I had a hard time not staring at this interesting, rowdy group. At some random point in their expletive-laden conversation... One guy at the table loudly asked three different people in turn, So, you want to go to 11 o'clock mass with me at Parkview tomorrow? Score! She said, I about died. He, he described Parkview as refreshing and said, you got to try it with us. One of them might have been my friend who's running the camera back there who got the WWJD for his motorcycle jacket because he thought it meant, we want Jack Daniels. (laughs) Is that you over there, Franco? There he is right there, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, now he has WWJD because he knows what it actually stands for. But when he first got it, he had no idea. It might have been Franco and some of his friends. I don't know. I just love the story. Here's what she went on to say. What it boiled down to was this. If Jesus walked onto that patio, would he rather have hung out with me or them? My friend and I chatting about books and the psychology of men? Probably not. No one would want to do that. Or... Or would he have gone to the table with the rowdy colorful group? And she answered her own question. And she said, I'm pretty sure we would have gotten a polite wave as he pulled up a chair to the other table. The bottom line is this. She said, thanks for growing a church where we all have a place and we all feel welcome. Our church is awesome. And I couldn't agree more. That is getting it. That is getting it. Okay, so what are we going to do? Well, obviously, we're trying to create an atmosphere here where prodigals will feel welcome and older brothers will repent and feel welcome, and all of us can come together and serve the body of Christ. But I want to take it a step further for you. Okay, remember my story back at the beginning? Matthew, the tax collector, also known as Levi, had invited friends over. Here's what Luke says. Matthew held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. So he was being proactive. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Uh, obviously you've got to be careful with this, okay? You have to be careful about who you hang out with. If you're a recovering alcoholic, you don't go back to the bar. You've got you to gotta understand where your limitations are. But the problem is a lot of Christians have removed themselves so much from the rest of the world that they don't even have non-Christian friends they hang out with. So I want to challenge you to think of a non-Christian person at, at at the office, somebody in the neighborhood, and I want you to be proactive in your relationship with them. I want you to invite them out to lunch. Invite them over to dinner. Go out to a movie and dinner together. Get your small group together and think about some people that you could say, hey, let's invite them to come to our small group. You might have to change your curriculum a little bit. You might have to go back to something a little simpler than what you guys have been doing. But wouldn't that be awesome if we actually became proactive about going out to those people that sit on the back row? And if we remembered that the back row is where Jesus was really all about. I want to encourage you to throw a Matthew party, to do something proactive to make a difference. I couldn't believe this stupid sports story. Did you hear this from Texas? Um, This week, the the, uh, Christian high school basketball team that beat another Christian high school basketball team 100 to nothing. (laughs) I mean... You know, let's have Tim preach a sermon on something and then graphically illustrate it a few days. I think, it was, I think it was actually going on last weekend. They thankfully fired the idiot coach who didn't realize that it was a bad idea to squash the other team 100 to nothing in Christian love. But there was another great story that came out a few weeks ago. I want to read you. This is the one. I wish this was from Parkview. This guy gets it. It was the oddest game of high school football you've ever seen in Grapevine, Texas. It was Grapevine Faith Academy versus Gainesville State School. And everything about it, the reporter wrote, was upside down. For instance, when Gainesville came out on the field, the faith fans made a 40-yard spirit line for them to run through. Did you hear that? The other team's fans. They even made a banner for them to crash through that said, Go Tornadoes, which is weird because faith is the Lions. It was More than 200 Faith fans sitting on the Gainesville side and cheering the Gainesville players on by name. I never thought I'd hear people cheering for us to hit their kids, recalls Gainesville's quarterback and middle linebacker Isaiah. And even though Faith walloped them 33-14, the Gainesville kids were so happy that that after the game, they gave their head coach Mark Williams a sideline squirt bottle shower like he'd won state. It had to be the first Gatorade bath in history for an 0 and 9 coach. Here's a picture of him. But then when you saw the uniformed officers escorting the 14 Gainesville players off the field, two and two started to make four. They lined the Gainesville players up in groups of five, handcuffs ready in their back pockets, and marched them to the team bus. That's because Gainesville is a maximum security correctional facility for boys 75 miles north of Dallas. Every game they play is on the road. This all started when Faith's head coach, Chris Hogan, wanted to do something kind for the Gainesville team. They'd never played the Gainesville team, but they already knew what the score was going to be. Faith was 7-2 and two going into the game. Gainesville prison was 0-8. Oh They'd only had two TDs all year. Faith has 70 kids, 11 coaches, the latest equipment, and involved parents. Gainesville has a lot of kids with convictions for drugs and assault and robbery, and many of those families disowned them. They're wearing 7-year-old shoulder pads and ancient helmets. So Hogan had an idea. What if half of our fans for one night only cheered for the other team? He sent out an email to the faithful asking them just to do that. Here's the message I want you to send to those Gainesville kids, Hogan wrote. Give them the message. You are just as valuable as any other person on the planet. Some people were confused. One faith player walked into Hogan's office and said, Coach, why are we doing this? And Hogan said, imagine if you didn't have a home life. Imagine if everybody had given up on you. Now imagine what it would mean for hundreds of people to suddenly believe in you. Next thing you know, the Gainesville Tornadoes were turning around on their bench to see something they had never seen before. Fans, hundreds of them, and actual cheerleaders I thought they were confused, said Alex, a Gainesville linesman. They started yelling defense when their team had the ball. And I said, what? Why are they cheering for us? It was a strange experience for the boys who most people cross the street to avoid. We can tell people are a little afraid of us when they come to the game, says Gerald, a lineman who will wind up doing three years. You can see it in their eyes. They're looking at us like we're criminals. But these people, they were yelling for us and by name. Maybe it figures that Gainesville played better than they had all season. Of course, it might have been because Hogan put in his third third string defense towards the end. But still, after the game, both teams gathered in the middle of the field to pray. And that's when Isaiah, the quarterback from Gainesville, surprised everyone by asking to lead. We had no idea what the kid was going to say, Coach Hogan said. But Isaiah said this, Lord, I don't. I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known this many people in the world cared about me. As the tornadoes walked back to their bus, under guard, they were each handed a bag for the ride home, a burger, some fries, a soda, some candy, a Bible, and an encouraging letter from a member of the faith football team. The Gainesville coach saw Hogan, grabbed him by the shoulders and said, you will never know what your people did for these kids tonight. You will never, ever know. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Maybe you're here today and you're a prodigal and you've never, ever gotten past the older brother before. I hope that you understand who God really is. And I hope that you can accept my apology for the times that I've been the older brother and my apology on behalf of the older brothers that have represented us badly. And forget about them. And understand how much Jesus loves you. This should show you right now. Let's pray. Lord, I, I do ask for, my, for, for forgiveness for my sins. Um, my sins might not have been on that billboard necessarily, but are on that on that picket sign, I might not be on Hell's most wanted, but I deserve to go to hell. and there have been times I've committed a lot of those things, those sins. and Lord, I don't deserve to be there and I ask for your forgiveness. I know that I can't get into heaven. One sin means I don't get to go. If I'm guilty of breaking the law at one point, I'm guilty of breaking the whole law. Your word tells me that. So nobody in this room deserves to be here. Nobody deserves communion. Nobody deserves to be in heaven. We all come before you right now as sinners saved by grace. That whoever believes you will not perish but have everlasting life. We claim that promise. If there are people in this room who have never claimed that promise, they've never asked you to come in and to save them, I pray that right now is the time that they realize that you as the Father are running towards them, wanting to throw your arms around them. If they've run into older brothers, Lord, help them to put that out of their mind and and get past those older brother people and get straight to you. Lord, I pray that you'll just keep the older brothers out in the field. I know that you still love them. You still love me when I act that way. You said to the older brother, everything I have is always yours. You love them even though they get in your way. Just, I just pray that you'll keep them out in the field. Lord, for all of us right now as we take communion, we realize that this is a gift of grace. And we realize that it cost you a great deal. So we don't make light of our sin. You told the woman, go and sin no more. And that should be our goal. We should be getting better. We should be more righteous. We should be holy because you are holy. Help us as we grow, but help us never to get to the point where we think we deserve it. In Jesus' name we pray.